Well, thank you, Brother Sean, uh, for that introduction. Thank you, Brother Jason, for wonderful teaching about loving our neighbor in the church. I think that's extremely important and really sets the stage because, like he said, if we can't do that, where else do we go? And so from there, we're going to talk about loving our neighbor in the community. And to do that, I guess we need to ask the question of, of what is community? Because uh, somebody says community, and most of the time we think about, well, that's, that's where I live. That's, that's the town or the city or the place. Uh, people are in proximity to me, and, and we think about neighbor. Well, that's my neighbor across the street or down the road or maybe even across town. But what is community exactly? So the definition of community is actually a group of people living in the same place or having a particular thing in common. And so like Brother Jason talked about, the church is our community. We have commonality in Jesus Christ. We have commonality in the gospel that saves us. We have commonality in our goals and focus and who we want to be and how we want to live. And so that makes our church our community. He talked about that. What about your business community? The place where you go to work every day or the place where you go to school every day and those people that you interact with on a daily basis there, do you not have commonality that brings you together? Goals for work and accomplishing this or accomplishing that and you interact with them very often and very regularly. You know, some of the people that I grow very close to over time are people that I have worked with and shared that relationship with. And if I'm being honest with you today, some of the people that get the very hardest to like sometimes or the very hardest to love are also those people that I work with on a daily basis because we're around them all the time and they start to get on our nerves here and there. But nonetheless, we have a business community or a school community and that's the kind of people we're talking about today in this particular uh, study or lesson. Our hobby community. You know, I like to be involved in livestock shows, and as such, my family has become. I don't know if they like it as much as I do all the time, but I really, really enjoy that. That would, If I had to name you what is my hobby, it's looking at show steers and looking at show lambs and even show pigs and things like that. I love it. I could do it. Uh, all day every day because I just really really enjoy that we've developed a community of people within that and we share that commonality that's not for everybody I'm, there might not be another person in this room that, that shares that with me but there are people out there we share that we have that commonality it brings us together we can talk about that uh, it gives us opportunity to interact and then of course our local community just like we would think about those folks across the street, down the street, people that live in close proximity to us uh, that we may or may not interact with regularly, but we share a commonality because we live together. And I could take that on out to our state community. You know, uh, it means a lot to be from Texas, and I'm proud to be from Texas, and when I'm around other Texans, that draws us together, no matter where we're from in the vast uh, state and then the nation and, and all those things and just like brother Sean talked about to kick us off it doesn't matter if they're across the ocean uh, we live in this world together and we have community one with another and so I'm talking about those kind of people today and as I mention uh, community and every time I use the word community I want your mind to focus on those people you work with or go to school with those people that live across the street 
those people that you share that hobby with. Maybe you like to quilt and there's a group that gets together and quilts and you all have that in common. Because you have influence with these people. You have influence with them. And I think sometimes we downplay the influence that we have or we don't want that influence. I remember back in the late 80s and early 90s uh, when I was a kid and enjoyed watching professional basketball and those guys would mess up from time to time. And back then, the media would hold them accountable for that mess up and they'd stick a microphone in their face and they'd say, what do you think you're doing to the youth when you're, you're their role model and you're setting this, this poor example for them? And they would say, I'm not a role model. I don't want to be a role model for those people, but, but you are. In your community, you're a role model. Whether that's your hobby or whether that's your uh, town or whether that's your work, you're a role model. You should be a role model. You should be letting your light shine. People should be looking at you and seeing love. Because where else are they going to see it if they don't see it in you? Where else are they going to see the portrayal of Jesus Christ if they don't see it in you? They need to see love in you. And so we need to love our neighbor in the community. What does that look like exactly? How do we love our neighbor in the community? You think about that person at work. You think about that person that you interact with regularly. You think about that person across the street or, or at school. How do you love them? What does that look like? And so what I want to do is I want to just make some comparison of a person with no love and a person with love. A person that shows love and a person that doesn't show love. What does that look like exactly? First of all, if you don't have love, you're going to be totally and completely focused on self. You're going to care about your wants and your needs and your desires, and you're going to go about and you're going to find ways to fulfill your needs and your wants and your desires. And I'm not downplaying your needs and your wants course they're important we have to sustain ourselves don't we we have to take care of ourselves in fact the bible says no man ever yet hateth his own flesh but nourisheth it and cherisheth it so i want you to think about how we nourish and cherish our own flesh and then i want you to think about focusing that out to other people and you're going to nourish them and cherish them and you're going to focus on them. I'm not talking about focusing on their problems and focusing on, oh, they should be doing this or, oh, they should be living that way or that way. I'm talking about looking at their needs and their wants and nourishing them and cherishing them. Look at what the Bible says, and Sean referenced this earlier about charity or love. It says that charity seeketh not her own. When we really have love in our hearts, we stop caring so much about what I need and I want and I desire, and we start to focus that on what someone else needs or wants or desires. And how can I help them? How can I not seek my own, but how can I help them and see about them? The next thing that we notice is that when we start to do that, when we start to focus out on others, and out on their needs and wants and desires, their needs begin to be greater than ours. If we don't have love, our needs are more important than their needs. 
And I think my need is more important than my co-worker's need. And so I'm not going to help my co-worker on this project because I need to look better than my co-worker anyway because we're up for the same promotion. And I'm not going to help them and I'm not going to see about them. Or my neighbor across the street, I'm not going to see what they need or check on them or, or uh, worry about them at all because they're really not that important. It's about me. It's kind of the society we live in. That's not love. That's not love at all. That's how the world would have you live. That's how, uh, that's how we've got in some of the shape that we're in, quite honestly, in the world, is that we focus on self, we focus on our needs, but their needs become greater than our needs. That's what love's about, putting them first, putting them before me. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. It's talking about humbling ourselves and looking out at others and saying, you know what? They're better than me at this or they're better than me at that. I used to have the opportunity to interview a lot of people uh, and, and one of the questions I would ask them was to name someone who was better than them at something that was important to them. And the reason I would ask that question is so I could see if they... Uh, would humble themselves and admit that, hey, there's people better than me at this or this. And when they would do that, I could trust that they were going to be a good team member, that they were going to work hard for the company, and they were going to look and appreciate their co-workers. But I was surprised how many people couldn't answer that question. Now, we all think we're good at certain things, but when we can't humble ourselves and look at them and say they're better... And if they're better, then I'm going to see about their needs and their wants and their desires. 1 Corinthians 10 and 24, Let no man seek his own, but every man another man's wealth, or another's wealth. Let everyone seek someone else's wealth. Let that sink in for a minute. That's love. We see a neighbor pull up in a brand new car, and we don't covet that car. We're happy that they got it. In fact, we'd help them get it. If there was a way for us to help them get it, that's when we're loving our neighbor in the community, when we're worried about them enough to seek their wealth. Now, maybe that's in a physical standpoint. We'll talk about spiritual later on. I hope we'll seek their wealth from a spiritual perspective as well. When we begin to do these things and we focus on them the folks in the community, when we put their needs above our needs, what's some ways to do that? Because like Jason said, it's not natural. It's just not natural. I wish it was natural. Maybe for some of you it is natural. Maybe that's a weakness that I have, but it's just not natural. I've had to work really hard just to be able to talk to people because I, I, I struggle with that as a young person and and, you know, I'd rather just get over in a corner and not have to talk to anybody. Just get away from everybody. That's, you can't love people when you do that. It's natural to love family. It's easy. And, and Jason mentioned that as well. How do we get to loving other people as naturally and easily as that? Well, we have to do things. We, as he said, we have to, put, uh, we have to practice that. We have to, to put it into action. And over time, it will train the brain. That's the wonderful thing about the human brain. It can be trained. 
And if we're going to love, and, and that quote was, was so spot on, Jason. I'm so glad you shared that. I'd not heard that before, but, but uh, was very, very encouraged by it. That if we practice those things and we do those things to people, pretty soon we're just loving them. It just happens. But we've got to put the things into action. We've got to do things toward them. So the first thing I'm going to encourage you to do is, is volunteer. Volunteer your time, your effort, maybe even your money at times. Volunteer in your community. Whether that's your community at work or hobby or uh, in town. Volunteer. There are no shortage of good causes to get involved in. I hope your church is involved in benevolent work out in the community. Get involved. Volunteer there first. And spend time in benevolent works and helping people out in the community. You know, if they're going to go sing at the nursing home, be a part of that. Get involved in that. If they're going to take food to people, be involved in that and do that and volunteer. And if you just can't find your niche there, there are no shortage of great organizations that are built on volunteerism. Get involved in that. Get involved in that. Young people need role models. They need positive role models. Find an organization where you can spend time working with young people, shaping young people, molding young people. Maybe they're not coming to the church, and it's easy for us. I hear all the time people say, oh, this generation, what are we going to do? This generation of folks, they just don't care about anything. They don't care about God. They're not coming to church. we got to go find them. Go volunteer somewhere and find them and be an influence and be an example and show them the way. It's what we've got to do. Titus chapter 3 and verse 14, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses that they be not unfruitful. The New King James renders that, that let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they be not unfruitful. We as Christians must be trained to meet urgent needs. That's volunteerism. Volunteer to step up and meet the urgent needs that occur. And where I've seen the church be fantastic at that is birth and death. We'll meet the needs. When somebody's born, we'll have a shower, we'll shower them with gifts, we'll uh, go and see about them and... and, and hoard over them and talk about how wonderful this child is. I'm not downplaying that. Important. Extremely important time in a person's life when they have a child. And then we'll do it again when somebody dies. And we'll take food and we'll gather around and we'll sit with family. Those are important times. What about all that time in between? What about all that time in between when we need to be meeting necessary needs? There are necessary Needs. There are urgent needs in your community today. There are people going hungry. There are people without God. There are no shortage of urgent needs in your community. Our people, Christians, our people need to know how to meet those urgent needs. And we do that by volunteering. By saying, yeah, I've got things to do. But I'm going to take time to go see about them and about their needs and about their wants. In Isaiah 58, verses uh, 10 and 11, If thou draw out thy soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then, thou, then shall thy light rise in obscurity and thy darkness be as a noonday. 
and the Lord shall guide thee continually and satisfy thy soul in drought and make fat thy bones and thou shalt be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters fail not. If thou will draw out thy soul to the hungry, if you'll focus on somebody else's needs and you'll help them in their time of need and pour yourself into it, Make it your passion. Find some area that you're passionate about. Maybe it's not helping youth and being an example to youth. Maybe it's the elderly. Folks, the elderly need people to visit them and see about them and check on them as well. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep thyself unspotted from the world. The widows and the orphans, the kids and the old folks, they need you. Volunteer your time and see about them and tend to their needs. Visit. That doesn't just imply that we would sit down with them and talk. Certainly that's part of it. But that we would really see about them. That we would really check on them. That we would really look at what their needs are and that we would put those needs above ours for the time being. Take care of them. Help them. Love's not rocket science. It's a lot harder to do than it is to, to say and explain. And that's why, as Sean said this morning, love is action. It's what we do. How about showing some hospitality? Brother Jason referenced this in, in his talk uh, as well. Hospitality. Christian people are supposed to be given to hospitality. To, when someone comes through and needs something... To, to help them out. Look at what it says in 1 Peter 4, verses 8 through 10. And above all things, have fervent charity or love among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. How is it going to do that? He says, use hospitality one to another without grudging, as every man hath received the gift. Even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. He says to use hospitality one to another. Use that hospitality. Hebrews 13 and verse 2. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. As Brother Jason said, the word hospitality uh, has reference to helping strangers, people we don't know. People we don't know. And then you run across this verse, and oh, you know, what, what does that mean, entertaining angels? Ooh, He's talking about people in the scriptures that we see that happen to. Abraham, in Genesis chapter 18, was entertaining strangers. It was these three folks that came. And as he saw them in the tent, what did Abraham do? How did he entertain them? How did he treat those strangers? It says that he said, uh, Y'all sit here for just a second, and I'm going to go get a little bit of water. And we'll wash your feet, and, and you can be refreshed. And let me just get you a little morsel of food, and, and we'll take care of you. And then what does Abraham run and do? You know, he was very humble about what he was going to do. And, and then he goes to Sarah, and he says, Get three measures of fine meal and knead it. You know how much three measures of fine meal is? It's over a bushel of flour. It would take, uh, it said there, a hundred-quart mixer. To mix that up. She didn't have a mixer. She did that with her hands. A hundred quarts. It said it would take a dough knife the size of your leg to knead that. 
They got some folks involved in making the cakes and making the bread. And what did Abraham do? He ran out and he killed a calf out of the pasture. And he brought it in and he dressed it. That's not a, a quick and easy job. It took him a little bit to do that. And he cooked it and he set it before him. That's hospitality. That's going way above and beyond. And that's what this verse is talking about. He was entertaining angels. He didn't know who it was. He's just taking care of people. Strangers come along, he's just taking care of. Very next chapter, Genesis 19, a little bit different example of hospitality. We have their lot. And the angel's going to Sodom and Gomorrah. And what did Lot do? He said, guys, you better come in my house tonight. Come in my house and stay tonight because it's not safe for you out here on the street. And I don't know what all else Lot did, but he showed hospitality. He took care of them. He protected them. He did what he had to do. That's what this is talking about. There was a guy came to, to Miami uh, a couple years ago. And uh, he came from California. And I'm not interested in getting into to politics or anything today. But he came to the little town of Miami because he heard uh, how pro-Trump that town was. And he did not have that, that feeling, and so he came to see what that town was all about. Uh, and some friends of ours took him into their house. And Carrie went over there and visited with them. I was out of town, but she went over there and visited with them as well. And they just took him in, and they fed him. And they invited him to stay. He was going to stay in a, in a little bed and breakfast there in town. They invited him to stay at their house. They didn't know this guy. They didn't know who he was. And before he left, they said, what did you expect to find? He said, I thought this would be a town full of people that were just angry and bitter at the world. He said, you've been nothing but kind. He didn't necessarily leave agreeing with the politics, but he appreciated the people. He couldn't hate the people. They just loved on him. They showed hospitality. What a difference it can make to show a little hospitality. And then practice acts of kindness. This should go without saying. You're just going to be nice to people. But love's not complicated. It's just being kind to people. Showing mercy, showing kindness. Let your light so shine before men, the Bible says in Matthew 5 and 16, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Glory be to God when we let our light shine and when we do good works. It glorifies God. It's the stamp of Christianity, as Brother Jason said. They know you're a Christian when you're kind and you love them and you just are merciful and, and treat them right. Just treat them right. You're kind and you love on them. Titus chapter 2 verse 14, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous, zealous of good works. That we are looking for good works. You know, it's one thing to, to just wait for the, for the opportunity to do a good work and take advantage of that when it comes along. That's certainly a good thing. We ought to be out there looking for them, looking for the opportunities, looking for the ways that we can serve our community members, that we can show them, your needs are important to me, and I love you, and I appreciate you, and I'm going to help you whatever and however I can. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak evil, or they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. We spend a lot of time worrying about what the world thinks of the church. 
because we teach some things that are not popular in the world, don't we? We teach some things that step on people's toes and make people uncomfortable. This is the kind of world they were living in then too. They were speaking things uh, that the Gentiles had been practicing for a long time that made them very uncomfortable, that weren't popular. Put away these other gods. You've got to flee fornication. You've got to flee all these lusts of the flesh and do away with all those things. That was making the Gentiles uncomfortable and they began to speak out against them and say, oh, the church is bad. But they couldn't speak out against their good work. They couldn't say anything evil against the good works. And eventually, because of the good works, it said they'll behold those things and they'll glorify God. Brothers and sisters, we don't need to worry about what the world thinks of us. We don't need to worry about what they think about our teachings and whether or not that steps on their toes. We just need to love on them. We just need to love on them and do good works and not hate but love and then they're going to glorify God because those good works can't be evil spoken of when we do these things I think something profound happens over time as we practice those things now if we don't love and we're self focused we put our needs over others needs then we've got problems we're not going to develop love we're going to develop hate we're going to be cynical towards everybody and everything but if we love and we focus on others' needs and we put their needs above our needs, something profound happens. We start to not see people as just some other thing, some object, but we start to see them as a soul. A soul that's important, a soul that's precious to God. A soul that needs to be saved. A soul that deserves to be in heaven just as much as I deserve to be in heaven because God sent His Son Jesus Christ to die for all. The gospel is for all. The gospel is for everybody. And we've got to see people when we look out in the community, when we look out at our co-workers, those that we work with and those that we're around, when we look at our friends in school, when we look at the people we interact with and our hobbies and the fun things that we do, and when we look at the neighbor across the street or down the street, we've got to see their soul. We've got to see their soul. Because when we see them as an object, I want you to think about how you see objects. I've heard people say, I love my car. I've heard people say that. I love my car. I like my car, I guess, but I don't love my car uh, because it... It's just a thing. It serves me. When I start it up, I want it to start up and take me where I want to go. And when I want to park it, I, I don't care about it anymore. I don't think about it anymore. It's just a thing. It's just an object. We treat people like that sometimes. Like they're there to serve us. Like they're there to do something for me. That's self-focused, isn't it? But when we're really loving people... We see their eternal soul, their eternal soul, precious to God. Acts 7 and 14, then sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him and all his kindred, threescore and fifteen, what souls? Not objects, not things, souls. You know, there's a tradition among airline pilots that when they get ready to take off, they say there are 155 souls on board. Why do they say that? 
It's to remind them they're in control of the fate of 155 people. They've got to be careful. They've got to be on point. They've got to know that these people's lives are in their hands for the moment. And it reminds them how important that is. We're dealing with souls out here in the community. We're dealing with souls that need to be loved and need to be brought to Christ. Acts 2 and verse 41, what does it say? Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Souls were added to the church. Not objects, not things, eternal souls. And that's what we want in love for those folks in the community, in our community. And so what's the last thing we're going to do? We're going to share Jesus. Now I think about that story of the Samaritan a lot. And I've had the unfortunate experience a couple times of driving up on a, on a car wreck or seeing a car wreck happen right in front of me. Uh, and luckily the people were not hurt seriously, but they were, they were hurt. And you just jump out and you run up there and you see about them. You don't think about it. What's, what's going on? These people might need help. I've got to get up here and see. I, I'm not trained in first aid. I don't know what to do. But you've got to get up there and you've got to see about them. But when we see somebody need the gospel, we'll pass by on the other side. They need the gospel. They're having a train wreck right now in their life. They're having a train wreck, and we're going to walk around on the other side, and we're not going to share with them the gospel, the people we work with every day, the people we enjoy our hobbies together with, our neighbor across the street. We pass by on the other side. Acts chapter 14 in verse 20, I want to back up and, and tell a little, little story here. Uh, this is Paul's first missionary journey. And Paul sent in Acts, the 13th chapter, the first part of that chapter, uh, he sent out to go and, and share the gospel, to go and preach the gospel. And he goes to several cities. He leaves Antioch, and it says that he passes through several cities there, and he comes to another Antioch. It's, it's a different town. Uh, both named Antioch, but he comes, comes to this other town. And it says that he preaches. And as he preaches, people receive the word. They like what they're hearing. It says they, be, they beseech him that he'll continue to preach those words the next Sabbath day. And they listen attentively, and people start to believe. And things seem to be going good. But then it says that there were the, the certain Jews that become envious of that. And they stir up the people. And they get rejected. They get rejected. That's our biggest fear. That's why we pass by on the other side. Because we're afraid they're going to reject us. We're afraid they don't want to hear about that. We're afraid that they'll call us a holy roller or something like that. So we just pass by. Paul was rejected. Paul and Barnabas were rejected. They, they weren't just rejected. They were run out of town. Run out of town. And then what did they do? It says that they traveled to Iconium and they kept on preaching. They preached the gospel in that city and people started to believe. But those Jews followed them from Antioch and they started to stir up people there. And pretty soon they ran them out of that town too. They were rejected. You can get pretty down on yourself, can't you? You can start to get cynical and you can start to say, well, they don't want to hear it. And so I'm not going to say it. I'll find some other way to, to love on them, but I'm not going to share the gospel because they just don't want to hear it. That's not how Paul thought. 
That's not what he showed. He kept on preaching the gospel. It says that uh, when they were in Oconium that, that they stayed there a long time and they worked miracles and wonders and they still see rejection. And they were forced to flee into other cities and that rejection doesn't stop. And, and in Acts 14 and verse 19 it says that they stoned Paul. They stoned him and kicked him out of the city. And it says, Howbeit as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, what did they do? They returned. They returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, the cities he had been run out of, the cities he had been uh, spit on and stoned. He went back. What possessed a man to do that? In 1 Corinthians 9 and 16, he says, For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I'm going to tell, what, tell you what motivated him. Love. Love for his community. Love for his brethren. Love for people in the world that needed the gospel. And he didn't care how they treated him. He went back. He went back. And he tried again. And he spread that message. The 96th Psalm in verse 3, the Bible tells us, Declare His glory among the heathen, His wonders among all people. If you really want to love on people in the community, you'll share with them the gospel. We've read this several times. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Share with them the gospel because they're a soul. Everybody in the community is a soul. And they need to be saved. And if you love them, if you love them, tell them the gospel and help save them. Thank you very much for your time and attention. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.